This episode of ACMG Presents Talk Time Live is brought to you in part by Viewfinders Identity Search and Design. Your choice for web design, graphic design, and all multimedia development needs. Visit VFISAD.com and let us bring your vision to reality. Hey there, this is Kyle Abair, the voice of Gohan from Dragon Ball Super, and you are listening to ACMG Presents Talk Time Live. Excuse me, Gohan, this is more of a narrator type thing. Uh, okay. Just do it more like a next time on Talk Time Live. Uh, next time on Talk Time Live. Don't quit your day job, Gohan. It's time. Talk time. Let's go. Anime, comics, movies, and games. Come on and let's get it. Talk time. Anime, comics, movies, and games. Come on and let's get it. Talk time. Anime, comics, movies, and games. Come on and let's get it. Talk time. Anime, comics, movies, and games. Come on and let's get it. Talk time. Live. Started in the 80s with Matt Cross. Dudes in the hood might have called that soft, but I carried that cross like Jesus did. Fast forward, what I teach the kids to learn how to let go, live life, and show love to all things that don't matter. Where y'all from? And luckily, there's a show called Talk Time. We've been waiting for this for a long time. Dax kicks the facts on all the geek news. Special guests and unbiased reviews. Suburban kids, the hipster street dudes. All can learn something new. Me too. I heard words when no faith is empty. I stayed the course, so my haters tempt me. Beep the podcast, that'll make them envy. It ain't too trendy. It's ACMG. Anime, comics, movies, and games. Come on and let's get it. Talk Time. Anime, comics, movies, and games. Come on. Come on and let's get it. Talk time. Anime, comics, movies, and games. Come on and let's get it. Talk time. Anime, comics, movies, and games. Come on and let's get it. Talk time. Again, everybody, and welcome back to the journal of my life that covers all things anime, comics, movies, and games. This is ACMG Presents Talk Time Live, the Prime Show. I am your host, Xavier Josiah. Folks, I hope you're having a great week, but we're counting down the days to the premiere of the new Mortal Kombat reboot. Are you guys ready for this? Because I am. And I'm so ready that I decided I wanted to watch some of the movies and series that led up to this point. So we're going to look back. At some of the movies, the original movie from 1995, Annihilation, uh, the legacy deal, the rebirth that possibly led to this reboot right now. We're going to look back at all of that. The good, the bad, and the brutal (laughs) that led up to this point right now. And uh, we're going to do that in our talk topic of the week. We also got some news, of course, in our favorite fandom. So let's not waste any more time, folks. Let's find out what's new in the world of ACMG. And now, it's time to find out what's new in the world of ACMG. Alright, so I wanted to start off with some video game news, and this is based upon what I've talked about in our Select Start video game podcast uh, this week, or maybe last week as well. But... I mentioned something about Fighter EX Layer, which uh, is a fighting game that appeared on the PlayStation 4. It was made by uh, Akira or Akira uh, a while back. It was if you played Street Fighter 
Alpha plus X, or is it? I forgot what it was. It's Street Fighter EX plus Alpha. That's what it is. If you played that game back in the day in the sequel to that, you kind of know where this company is coming from. It's from that company who created those two games, which is kind of a cult classic. Some people liked it, some people didn't. It was their venture into the 3D world at the time. So it kind of showed that you can put bring Street Fighter into the 3D world uh, in, a, in a sense. Uh, it just wasn't as fluid like it, it wasn't in fluid until like play uh street fighter 4 came in and just not only you know changed the franchise but changed the whole entire you know landscape of fighting games at that point so they are back with this game that came out a couple years ago they, they came out with this game a couple years ago and lo and behold it's now going to be on the nintendo switch and in fact it is already out on the nintendo switch in japan it was scheduled to come out on the 15th this week for the US and European uh, regions. However, uh, based on a, a notice of release schedule review, they uh, weren't able to release the game in uh, the US and Europe at this time due to some circumstances that they have to clear up before they get approved to, for the game to be released. This, If you guys remember, this is the same situation that happened with uh, Mike Herman involving retro mania wrestling he you know he had to you know in order to have things approved he had to do work on certain things in order to do that and he finally did and the game finally came out and everybody loves the game now this is the same thing that's happening here however i don't know if this happened to anybody else but nobody else is a lot of other people are doing what i do with the nintendo switch i have a japanese account i'll have an american account in my Japanese account, of course, because Japan was able to get it released there. I was able to download the game, the, the free version of the game, which all of the games are region free. So I was able to download that. And for some reason, even though I couldn't find the game and before I even saw this notice on the official uh, Akira EX uh, Facebook page, I did not know that they were delaying the game i just noticed that it wasn't there so i was trying to figure out what's going on at the time before i saw this notice and turns out if you type in fighter or fighting ex in the search engine in the nintendo eShop, for me at least that game popped up you can find the game it is available for 24.99 so i downloaded it and I here's the thing too I don't know if it had anything to do with the fact that I downloaded the free version online I mean on uh, on in the Japan um, site but apparently not only was I able to purchase this game the DLC that unlocks the entire game and allows you to play all the characters in the game it used the same the same file that I used to download in the Japan site so like this thing is kind of universal so I don't know if that was a glitch on Nintendo eShop's part, but I have the game. I am playing the game as we speak in its full, in its entirety, despite the fact that they announced that, you know, updates and, you know, everything um, we schedule and they're going to release this fully on May 27th. I am playing the game right now. I paid the $24.99 to, pay, uh, to play this game. So I, if, I don't know, guys. Um, Check and see it yourself. If you go on to the US version of the Nintendo eShop, type in Fighting EX 
see if it pops up if it doesn't pop up then that must mean that you have to, I, I i was able to get it be somehow some way because of the because i downloaded the app from the u.s store i don't know i don't know all i know is that i'm playing the full game right now on there so here's the deal so i'm playing this game and in this game is enjoyable it's 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 solid in terms of gameplay in turn in terms of gameplay and, and, and frame rate it is very solid the frame rate is about 60 frames per second which is kind of the same thing that they did with mortal kombat 11 on the switch so it provides a much more fluid gameplay and, and your fighting experience is much better even though they had to you know dilute the graphics just a bit which if you look at it if you look at it from um handheld mode it still looks really good it doesn't of course it's not going to have that playstation 5 or even playstation 4 look but all things considered it looks pretty good now for fighting ex layer it is kind of diluted a little bit more because of you know the hair strands the hair colors and everything is 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 kind of muted and really kind of diluted a bit um you look at terry bogart's hair it is not blonde <laughs> or it's not there's like highlights of blonde hair in there but it's not completely blonde uh if you look at the uh, i guess the main character whose hair is supposed to be white it's not white it's dark so i mean there's those limitations right there the the uh the color palette limitations right there but other than that the gameplay is great it, it is um a lot of fun to play this is something that you can play with other people you they have two different types of you know uh gameplay modes there's progressive and there's um classic classic is just your normal street fighter you know move set in in in, in movements uh directions you know half circle you know plus whatever to do a fireball whatever but progressive is like a more simplistic way of of playing the game uh i'm not sure I've, i guess it's more for comboing or whatever but you know overall like this is a game that i didn't have to really put on a lot of emphasis to review because there's really nothing to it there's only an arcade mode there's a training mode there's offline and online modes and that's it it is it is absolutely hollow it is it's it's a very hollow game like the core that makes this game playable and fun is the arcade mode but the bad part is when you play the arcade mode and you get all the way to the final stage and you beat the game there's no ending to this the presentation is not there it's nothing at all it reminds me of virtual fighter whereas you play through to all these stages and then it's like what are you fighting for you just it's an arc it's just an arcade game like at its core and it doesn't really do anything like they claim they have endings in this game but all it is is that it's an illustration of the character and then they have this text this paragraph that that's talk that uh talks about what they did you put all this emphasis on this game and it, it, it just bothers me because you put all this emphasis in the game the character design is great you use the the uh the unroll engine to make this um the the character the models are awesome i mean there's a lot of great fun cool things about it. you got terry bogart in it for god's sake and lo and behold the only thing that you do with this is just make it a hollow game experience there's nothing to this game except for the fighting itself it it, it boggles me they got a spectator mode like which i like honestly 
who cares? <laughs> I don't think you're going to get that many people playing this game. And I knew when they first came out with this game, they were talking about they wanted to make it a tournament, you know, type of game. But what made it, what makes a fighting game so great? And these are the guys that work with Capcom at one point. They worked with, the, they used the Street Fighter franchise to create their original, uh, you know, games that they were making that led up to this, using the same characters from that game. Like Street, what makes Street Fighter so great? And which led to all the other fighting games being, uh, you know, like Mortal Kombat and Tekken so great is because they created a very strong narrative that allowed you to immerse yourself into these characters. Here you have some really colorful looking characters in this game, but you can't, it's hard for you to really care about them or know about them because they don't give too much of an emphasis in terms of story about these characters. So. And, and, and the only one that everybody really likes in the game, the only standout of this game is Skullomania, which became a cult classic dude. He like almost he came around almost in the same fashion as as uh, Deadpool. He's that type of character. So people really, really like that character. And he he's literally like he's such a lovable character that people have had, um, you know, tattoos of him or, you know, they've done some type of graphic, you know, you know, uh, content involving him at some point in time he's a favorite character he's he's appeared on other games before too uh, i believe he's an snk heroines as well and it just it boggles me that they didn't put more emphasis like you couldn't even even if they did like illustrations for endings like they did with street fighter 5 and 4 where they told some type of narrative that would have been fine it's just like okay they charge 25 dollars for this thing and I respect that price range because it doesn't give you anything else other than that. I respect that it, because it's just a pickup and go fighting and, it, and the fighting is it, the core fighting gameplay is it's it's as solid as can be. There's nothing wrong with it. It's it's damn near flawless at, at best. I wouldn't necessarily say all the movesets and everything are fluid or anything because some of it is, you know, it, it's OK, but at least you could pull off the moves easy. But, you know, for what they're asking for, $25 is very appropriate, in my opinion, for this. Because you got, like, Mortal Kombat 11, who gives you so much, so much content for the money that they're asking for. And this is why I don't mind paying out of my pocket for the games that I review. is because I want to understand why this, you know, this is the price. Is it worth the price that I'm paying for and a lot of times if you get free games and i've gotten a couple free games so far i've gotten like i got a couple free games but in terms of uh retromania wrestling i got a press copy but i also did buy a version of it also for the switch so you know that's that situation but uh and the other one was shanti and i knew luckily from my past i knew shanti was going to be good anyway so it was awesome that i was able to get an early copy of that from way forward but other than that, I don't mind paying out of pocket because I want the empathy of feeling that I got my money's worth and and, and I didn't. Plus, there's other advantages to buying your own games and reviewing to them as well. Um, that's a whole nother story for a whole nother time. Something that a lot of, you know, game reviewers don't really pay attention to from a business standpoint. But I digress. This right here to me is, I, I think, $24.99, unless they provide more content for this game, is very suitable. 
it, it is very much worth uh, the price. If you just want to pick up and go fighter, this is going to be the fighter that you want to get. But you know what also this uh, uh, also what this game has done. This game has allowed me to see other fighting games that I've gotten in a new light. And in in, in in this case, I'm talking Samurai Showdown. You guys remember, um, you know, a while back when I reviewed that game when that game first came out for the uh, Nintendo Switch, and I, I really, I, I don't, I don't want to say I completely badmouth it, but I had reserves about this game because you're coming out with this game and it's going up against like the likes of Mortal Kombat and the likes of Tekken Seven and Street Fighter Five, who is giving you so much, and they wanted the same amount. For the price that they were asking for when mortal kombat 11 gave us a thorough movie quality story mode uh and then on top of that an arcade mode combat tower which also each had its own you know endings for each of them do you know how much work was put into that okay and then on top of that there were other modes in there as well for the price of you know 59.99 minimum and you know more than that if you wanted more stuff and then on top of that they added a whole nother story mode for like 29.99 that allowed you to go through the you know the road with shang soon you know it, that was so be like they're right now that is the king of the fighting games right now because of what they did and street fighter is another one they gave you so much out of that they still give you a lot from that game Tekken 7 still give you a lot from that game, but I would consider Tekken 7 out of 3 being the third of these two. So you got Samurai Showdown who came out and they were just giving you like all the continuity and the quality that you've seen already in Street Fighter 4. You know, your basic arcade mode, you got a few, you got an intro. It, it's exactly like Street Fighter 4. You got your mid boss level where you have this little interaction with each other. And then you got the end where you fight the main, you know, boss for that. To me at that time, I felt like that, you know, for the price that they were asking for on the PlayStation 4, it just wasn't uh, enough to warrant that for me. But then fighting gay fighting EX layer comes out and it's even less than what that is so it really amplifies what to me which uh samurai showdown has done and now i haven't no i have a whole new appreciation for samurai showdown and what they did now i still say i would still argue that the price that they were asking for was definitely not worth it i think it should have been at least i think the price that they gave it for on the nintendo switch was appropriate they took it down, I think like at least 20, at least uh, 10 or $20 down. And plus they added the, uh, they, for the Nintendo Switch, they did a lot. They gave it, I think they took, toned it down, shaved it off like 10, uh, $20. And then on top of that, you got the Neo Geo Pocket version of Samurai Showdown on top of that. Plus you had the first season of characters that you were able to get. So they gave you a bargain. That to me was worth it because they were, you can't compete with, Mortal Kombat and what they did. And I think they felt that and knew that. So by the time it hit the Nintendo Switch, you got an abundance of different incentives with it. And for that, that's when it was worth it. But now looking at it like now, it's definitely, I definitely have a new appreciation after playing Fighting EX Layer. Like 
Fighting EX Layer is a just a solid game, but it's just another pick up and play game. But after a while, you're going to guarantee you're going to feel bored if you're not playing with other people because there's nothing else to it that'll merge you in, that'll immerse you into the game. So if I was to give this game any type of grade at this point, it'll be a solid C, which is crazy. I barely give fighting games like that, that type of deal. But this is absolutely a C. This is a very diluted game experience that lacks a lot. And it doesn't have to be because it had the means of really put it in. Hopefully down the line that they'll add more to this in terms of continuity and make you really get to know these characters because this is a whole new generation of gamers and fighting gamers and a fighting game community who may not have played Street Fighter EX plus Alpha back then. And they may not understand where these characters come from. They just they're going to associate them with Street Fighter because they look like Street Fighter characters, but not realize that they were at one point in a sort of a different type of canon from the Street Fighter franchise. And there was some connection to it. Uh, they, I don't think they're going to know this at this point. So it's coming out. They're claiming it's coming out on uh, May 27th is going to be the actual release date. But as I said, you know, if you got a Japanese account, download the free version there, go out of your way, go to, go to the US site, type it in, Fighting EX, see what happens. See what happens from there. But you know, if you're a fighting game fan like I am, you'll find some use for that game. For 25 bucks, it's not bad. Um, it is really not bad. So, uh, you know, go out of your way and check it out. Even, you know, rather now or when it comes out, it's 25 bucks. It's not, it, for that for that type of fighter, it's not bad. So, going on to other news, let's talk some uh, movie trailer news here. The latest trailer for Fast and the Furious or Fast 9 or whatever the hell they call it, Fast and the Furious Saga is out got a chance to check it out and there's a lot of cool things about this new trailer man this was awesome for instance the appearance of jacob black and the gang from tokyo drift which you if you i had to watch it twice because i didn't see it i didn't see them the first time but i saw it took a glimpse and there was a guy who kind of looked like paul walker and i had to stop and like wait did they do the cgi thing with paul walker again so i looked at it i paused it at that very moment comes to find out no it's not paul walker and his character it's jacob black the guy who plays jacob black from tokyo drift and there goes bow wow and the other dude that was in japan with them they're all there with dom and a family i thought this is awesome because lo and behold tokyo drift was the movie that brought me into the entire series i watched i liked the first one it was okay but it just felt like it was like this is like another one of these one and done movies and maybe any and maybe it will go straight to dvd afterwards then they came out with two, which, uh, you know, God rest his soul, John Singleton did, which unfortunately didn't live up. Tokyo Drift, to many, kind of brought them back in. And pe there's people who won't admit it, but Tokyo Drift was, was everybody, was, you know, what brought a lot of people into this series. And then after that, this series just got better and much better and more impactful and epic and over the top but just it was just it just became like became a lot more fun to watch the stories were more engaging the writing was you know so much better the character development was stellar justin lynn who uh directed all of these just 
did a terrific job. And it looks like this is going to be a ball burner as well. We also see John Cena, who plays Dom's brother, uh, Jacob. Uh, in here, uh, Jacob Toretto, I believe is his name, who wants to get revenge on him and is willing to team up with Cypher in order to do it. Now, if you guys remember, Cypher is there now their new main bad guy in here, the main antagonist. Uh, she killed um, Dom's girlfriend, who was the cop from Brazil, who had his kid. She was awesome. She was awesome because I hated her so much. She played a really good, you know, villain in, in the last one. And I, the even better part is that they didn't kill her off. So she is now like the new Cobra Commander <laughs> type of character. Like she just keeps coming back or whatever. And I don't know. Maybe maybe this is the time when she's going to bite it. We'll see. Because if she doesn't die now, that means they're going to do another show. They're going to do another movie. So we'll see. It, it, I just I just really like the fact that they didn't kill her off. And I like the idea that a lot of these shows that we're watching now, they're not killing these bad guys off like they used to guys remember we talked about this before the trend of killing off a main major bad guy started with batman 89 when tim burton killed off the joker and that became the cool thing because that never usually happens before that every character every bad guy would you know come back if you watch superman the superman movies the uh the donner movies we would see lex luthor every single time in every movie that they came out with so they wanted to you know tim burton wanted to change it up it's like why are these guys never dying so and i don't fault him because he did something different but then everybody else wanted to do, you know everybody else wanted to do what he did and it started that trend but now we're going back to the times where not everybody should die at every at the first time like give them some form of development like Darth Vader didn't die until like the until Jedi. And you know, just give it time to breathe. So Cypher is still alive in here, and I'm I, she's been awesome so far. So I'm looking forward to that. But you know who else is in here too? Out of all the characters in this series, in this franchise, and also the reason why I love Tokyo Drift so much is Han. Han was by far like the Richard Gear of this series he was just the most cool laid-back dude you could ever see and he just he was the man and when he died i was pissed <laughs> i was so pissed because i'm like he's the one of the coolest characters ever well guess what in a surprise showing of this trailer they reveal han is still alive some form of fashion now gail gail gadot is dead <laughs> they killed off wonder woman but Han is still alive somehow, some way, and I'm looking forward to seeing how the hell he managed to stay alive this time. So he's back with the team, full force, got a new haircut, still the same cool laid back Han. I mean, like, this dude is the ultimate wingman. Like, if you're single, you want an awesome wingman who you like, he he won't take he won't take your side of things. He got his own. That is the dude you want as your wingman. <laughs> A rumor, and as rumors mentioned, the family will somehow end up in space. That has been shown. It's been talked about for quite some time since the mention of, um, since the production of this thing that, you know, they were going into space. We have Ludacris and Tyrese going into space somehow, so away doing something. It's really crazy. Um, there are also scenes where Dom and the crew will be weaponizing technology that will allow them to use high levels of magnetism, which creates all these crazy scenes as well. So 
it's like, what can you think of next to go over the top with this series? And they always find a way. So I don't believe this had, did this have a, I gotta see, did this really have a, uh, I gotta see if this had a release date because I didn't see it actually. I don't recall ever seeing the release date for this, but hmm. I don't know, but it is coming out this year. I believe it is coming out this year. Let me look it up. Uh, Fast and Furious 9, 2021. Got a release date for this. Oh, it says June 25th, 2021. So it's coming out this summer. Perfect timing. Everybody hopefully will be vaccinated by then. Theaters will be open. This is the movie to go watch. My wife will go crazy. I'm surprised she hasn't seen it yet. And I'm afraid whenever we go see a Fast and Furious movie, she tends to get really motivated and the drive home is usually pretty pretty interesting i can say that so get ready they're back and they finally coming out and tyrese can finally stop complaining because this movie's coming out and money will be made and i don't want to go into that whole situation but man that was just that was a rough patch because if you guys remember the rock and uh jason statham came out with their movie before this movie because they wanted I, for some odd reason they wanted to come out with this and it delayed this movie from coming out uh so that happened and both movies are going to be good it's just tyrese got into a big thing which then led to him and the rock getting into this huge rivalry and it, it, it was it was both funny and both cringeworthy at the same time so Hopefully we can finally get that squash and get that out of the way. And, you know, and also, you know, Rock and uh, Vin Diesel had some issues as well because of the situation there. So it's it's just going to be interesting, man. I, it's going to be very interesting from there. But let's get into some deeper news. Of course, you've been listening to this show for the last few weeks. You know that I've been watching and reviewing Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And this is no different. This is the second to the last episode of the series and man i in my opinion possibly my favorite episode of the entire series as we as it hit hard on subjects pertaining to abuse of authorities uh, systemic racism and representation here let's go down the notes let's go down the notes here this episode starts with john walker running away from the crime scene that he did last episode where he killed I don't want to say an innocent man, but he killed a member of the Flag Smashers that he made an excuse to say that even though he saw who killed Lamar, he displaced that anger onto the member of the Flag Smashers that didn't kill him. And he ended up killing that guy. He, he abused his authority. He got really angry. And as a result, that dude is done. And we see him running away from... We see him running away from the situation and um he's going through it he is absolutely going through it uh the effects of the serum seems to be creating a sort of chemical imbalance with them uh with him as he is in an empty warehouse where he's constantly hearing lamar's voice and everything that he said leading up towards him taking the serum and it's all coming back to him now Sam and Bucky find him in the warehouse and attempts to rationalize with him while also demanding to give him, give them uh, back the bloody shield owned by Steve Rogers and given to Sam. John refuses, which leads to another classic handicap matchup showdown. 
while battling uh john while battling john manages to rip falcon's wings which at that point in time when i was watching that i look i watched this as, as if i was watching an mma uh fight and if anybody's been in a sports bar with me watching an MMA fight, especially if I'm rooting for the particular guy, I don't drink. I'm total straight edge, but I will get as rowdy as the rest of them. <laughs> the sports bar, don't don't play. <laughs> so I'm in here watching this and they're going at it. And it take note that it took a super soldier like uh, Bucky and Falcon to take this dude down. So that's saying a lot, but they managed to get take him down. Um, Bucky and Sam wind up prying the shield from while also breaking his arm. And that's pretty much how it ended because they did that. Plus they did a team up move that, you know, kind of could custom or put him out of commission for, for the time being. Bucky picks up the shield, walks over to Sam, drops it over to Sam and, on, and puts it on the ground and walk away from a very tough fight. An emotional Sam wipes the blood off of his friend's old friend shield. This was just the opening, people. This was nine minutes into the episode, and it was just the opening. I mean, they they just did not beat around the bush with this. They totally went all balls to the wall with this. This is awesome. Sam heads out to the shield, uh, heads out with the shield, yet leaves the wings behind uh, with Torres. This was very interesting here um, because Torres looked at it and said, like, these are pretty much beyond repair and wanted to know how they got damaged. He didn't, Sam didn't reveal it to him, but he decided to take the shield, but not the wings. And that was kind of telling here, like, okay, what's going on with Sam right now? Is this when he's going to take on the role? No, he, he's so torn up with everything that's going on from what is happening with the flag smashers, the shield being given away to the wrong person. Um, when it wasn't supposed to be taken away at all, it was just supposed to be donated and displayed at the Smithsonian Museum. But the government went in, you know, they, they, they went and took it to their own hands and they had no authority to do that, as we learn later on in this episode with the biggest surprise ever. We'll talk about that soon. So he walks away with it and intentions to do what he needs to do with it. And we'll learn what that is later on. We then see John Walker appear in court. And the court is ready to strip him of his authority. John, in all of his means, still tries to justify his actions um, and does so irrationally. Like he gets like the, the serum is pretty much a steroid to him and is reacting this way. And his wife is looks very, very concerned during this whole entire thing. Um, but she's still supportive. She's still standing by him in this whole thing. Um, the court awarded John with a dishonorable discharge without benefits or no rank upon his retirement. So everything, all the, all, all of the medals and everything he had on his, uh, suit meant nothing, even though you can never really take it away from it, it was what it was. Um, I want to also note that this was Marvel sending a clear message. This scene right here where they took away all of his rights and his benefits and his privileges. This to me was Marvel sending a clear message to the country, the country's lawmakers, I should say, on how to handle criminal and rogue cops and how they should be treated when wrongfully murdering someone while on duty. And you guys know what's going on in the world right now. You know what's going on in the news right now. I thought this was perfect timing. 
And this was as perfect timing as the episode that celebrated Marvin Gaye's birthday, which was awesome. I thought this was also awesome because we need to see this. People need to see when, when authority is being abusive with their power, that they need to be reprimanded. They need to be punished. They need to be stripped of their duties, of their benefits, of their privileges. Marvel made it look so easy to do. And in fact, it really is that easy to do. I don't care what they tell you. I don't care all of the, he clearly, clearly did something wrong. It's on, it's on camera. Everybody had it. We've seen this before. How is this not being like, we see this now with the, with the uh, George Floyd case. What they did in that scene with Bucky last week is taken from that situation. What they did this week is exactly what should happen in that George Floyd trial. This wasn't a coincidence. This was designed. And even, even furthermore, it was with great timing because I don't know if they even calculated when this was going to air this in accordance to when that case was it i think that's the only coincidence out there but it was no coincidence as to why they did this scene it's just a matter of good timing and i hope to everybody that watches this sees this too and it can happen if they allow it to happen justice could be truly served if they take on justice enough said the senator uh, well let me go to the hair first um upon hearing the uh penalties and the punishment that he's taking and he's not getting arrested by the way i should take note of that either uh they just stripping him of his uh authority and everything from there upon hearing that john uh upon hearing this john looks up to the council and informs them that reminds them that they built him and that he is captain america he's still claiming it the senator, the senator disagrees. It reminds him that he is no longer Captain America. The senator, the senator and the consul then tells him that if he further continues to dishonor himself in that name and the military, that he will be severely disciplined. John walks away during, uh, during this warning. Oh, this is when things get crazy. They also demand that he returns the shield uh, with uh, expedience. Note, they don't know that Sam currently has this, uh, has the shield at this point and that he reclaims it. We then see John sitting and pondering with his wife when a strange woman approaches. The camera shows a woman in hills walking with authority coming towards John and his wife. As she speaks, the camera pans upward to discover that it is none other then Julia Louise Dreyfus playing the character known as Valentina Contessa Allegra de Fontaine, which is cons uh, considered in the comics a triple spy. Let me tell you, the Seinfeld fan in me was absolutely marking out for this moment because it's Julia Louise Dreyfus, people. And it, it just also, it, this is just one of those times that amazes me as to how big the marvel universe has gotten and the quality of actors award-winning actors that they get for this for this entire franchise i mean i've talked about 
Robert Redford, um, Gary Shandlin, which to me, this is the biggest acquisition since Gary Shandlin, like to come in. Like this is in terms of like level of acting actors. This is huge. Julia Louise Dreyfus is the is that is is that chick? <laughs> okay, I I was I was totally totally astounded for this, and I've read I've read up on some um, articles. Apparently, she was set to appear in Black Widow first. In other words, she is supposed to be in Black Widow uh, first, and this movie was supposed to come on. Because remember, Black Widow was was set to come out last year. Now it's coming out this year and that didn't happen of course so now we're seeing her for the first time kudos to marvel studios for keeping this secret this long because nobody's there were so many people who didn't see this coming didn't know that she was a part of the universe and it just made things so much better she is so absolutely awesome bow as she prefers to be mentioned or said and not really <laughs> comes along to tell john that uh, she agrees with her actions and that she has an offer for him as he considered to be an asset in other circles. This is interesting. And of course, because we haven't seen Black Widow yet, we don't know who their circles are. And again, kudos to Marvel Studios for being able to keep a secret from people. They constantly keep a secret from people. I remember there's a time, especially me being a wrestling fan, secrets were so hard to keep because there's always somebody that's going to snitch. NDAs, non-disclosed agreements, in the Marvel Universe are, are extremely deep. These guys don't play, and therefore they keep it extremely professional, which speaks volumes for the for wrestling industry, <laughs> in this case, up to this point. So she also informs him that the government does not actually have rights to own the shield, and it doesn't belong to them because it's some sort of a great legality, legal gray area uh, in that fashion. So during this conversation, John's wife asks uh, who she is and Valentina gives her a card, which turns out to be blank. And, and she's still talking. It's, it's a really, really great, fun moment. And it just, it really turned everything up from this point, like as if it wasn't already turned up. This even brought, turned the volume up even higher for this episode. So. Val suggests that uh, he awaits for uh, the time when she calls him because uh, she's going to need them. She's going to definitely need him. We then go to the Flag Smashers hideout or the shelter where the Flag Smashers are being helped, uh, where Carly and the gang talk about their next plan, which is to go all out at this point after. Um, who was it? What was the name of that? Uh, the G. What is it? GSR? The G. No, it's not the GSP. <laughs> The GRC basically shut them down and that uh, basically, you know, set them on a, they, it really basically set them on a, on a, um, on a path to just say like, screw, we're going to just go all out here. And they you know, they basically, they shut them down because they were harboring and assisting, you know, the flag smashers. So that, that was that scene. We then go to Sokovia where Zemo is uh is in what it looks like a memorial ground for everything that happened during that time uh at the time of you know age of ultron and bucky finds him there he meets up with him there pretty much 
Zemo informs Bucky that he will not kill him while also giving him some advice on how to stop Carly and the Flag Smashers. Bucky says that we are going to do things our, um, their own way while also pointing a gun at his face. He pulls the trigger with no ammo coming out as he is holding the ammo in the other hand. The Dore Malaje suddenly appear as they take uh, Zemo back to the raft. Bucky talks with Ao for a minute and uh, before they leave, Bucky asks for a favor. This is when things are getting even more interesting here. We then go to nighttime, Baltimore, Maryland. Sam returns to Isaiah Bradley's house with the shield. Isaiah's grandson sees him coming as he is playing ball with a friend and informs Sam that he will uh, be on the lookout. Sam walks into the back where Isaiah is watering his garden. Isaiah notices that he has the shield. Sam begins to open the case to which Isaiah tells him to keep it closed as the shield stars and stripes has no meaning to him uh, after what they did to him. Now this right here, the reason why I love this episode so much is basically comes down to this scene right here. This scene, which I think everybody should watch. And yes, this is uh, fiction fantasy based on reality, I should say, but there's a, there's a hell of a real world element into this that is based on some real, real life situations that happen in history that is not talked about enough. Families and kids should watch this just for the this entire series, to be honest, because the whole theme of this series is, you know, representation and treatment of, you know, the black community. Basically, it, without even saying it, it is. Yeah, I'm gonna have, I'm trying to have a, a hard time to read these notes because this was this was very hard um, to read, but. The two have a very deep conversation about his treatment during the time um, his term in the military and as the secret Captain America. Uh, he tells Sam if he isn't bitter about uh, uh, about how black people are treated, then you are blind. Isaiah firmly reminds him that they do not want him to be the symbol of this country. Sam also reminds Isaiah that Steve wasn't the cause of the torture uh, experiments that the government uh, put upon him and many other black men in the military back then, because Steve also was in, on ice at the time. So during all this time when Steve was in ice and I'm and I'm thinking it would have this is one of those what if type of things I wish the, the actual show the new what if animated show would do a segment on us. What if Steve was not you know, did not go on ice. Would he have stopped these experiments? Would this is would this ever happen? Would he would he be against the racial aspect of what's going on in the world? And how will he fight off that? I, I here's my thing. I, if Stan Lee was alive, and I I'm I really be, would have been cool for him to do this, especially after he constantly would do. I, I think if he would have did a story like this, this would have been one of the best what if comics of all time. Um, you know, to do a what if like Steve was there and then, you know, with all the racial civil rights and everything, which side would Steve go on? That would have been such an awesome thing to do. But unfortunately, it isn't. But and, and to, St to Stanley's credit, he's done more than enough to speak his mind about civil rights and, and uh, inequality and such like that. So I don't 
fault him for that. You can't you can't make all the all of the deals, but it's not to say you can't still do it now in this case. But Isaiah firmly reminds um, Sam that they did not want him to be the symbol of this country. They didn't treat him like Steve when when Steve was fighting. They they treated him the total opposite. Sam also reminds Isaiah that, you know, oh, I've read this part already. Sam learns more about Isaiah's past as he uh, shows him the old metal box with letters and pictures of his wife who died during the times when he was locked up during the experiments. The government lied and told um, them that he died. He told Sam that the military experiments on him, on them with various versions of the serum was given to a lot of black soldiers and as they sent them off like pawns and test subjects pretty much now all of them making it isaiah being the only one everybody had a different side effect to the serum and stuff like that and again this is kind of why some people in the black community in my community right now have problems believing in this covid serum you know this this this, this vaccination and everything and it, it's understandable but at the same time like i said like we got to do our part to really really research this whole entire thing you know we have to that means we have to work harder and be a little smarter in order to find out whether they are you know people are planning ill will on us or whatever like that so um it just is but isaiah continues to uh say that the brass wanted to blow up the POW camp in order to hide any evidence of these experiments on black soldiers. Isaiah decided to bust out and save the platoon instead of being considered a hero for saving the troops, much like Steve did in the first Avenger, um, you know, when he saved all of the troops from, you know, uh, the Hydra, they decided to punish him as Isaiah shows uh, Sam multiple stab wounds on the right side of his body for the next few months they experimented on him to try to figure out why the serum worked for him he explains that a nurse took pity on him and found a way to make uh, to help him escape while also creating fake reports clearing his uh, him legally dead sam is so distraught and emotional after hearing this from isaiah that he tells him that they have to find a way to put this into light to to bring this to bring this to the attention of everybody to let them know that you're still alive. Isaiah tells the uh, tells Sam to leave him dead because the minute that they uh, know that he's alive, does he really think that they're gonna uh, keep him there? That they're gonna uh, allow him to be alive? And you know, he it's not it's 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 beyond PT, uh, PTSD at this point with Isaiah. I mean, it's one thing to have PTSD. There's another thing to have all of these traumas happen to you based upon racial treatment and uncivil treatment and inhumane treatment. This is beyond PTSD in my opinion. Isaiah tells him that he believes that they will never be a black man, uh, uh, that they choose to be Captain American. And even if they did, no self-respecting black man will ever want to be. This really late this weighed on sam a lot sam decides to go back uh to his sister and nephews and tells him and helps him with the boat and put it all aside this scene was unbelievable 
it was it was way too deep but it was something that we need to see it's something that kids need to see it's something that everybody needs to see not just kids in the, in the black community not just families in the black community everybody we have something that i'm sure a lot of you now are starting to know about that happens in the black community and it's called the talk the talk is something that black families give to their kids to help prepare them for anything that might happen for instance if a cop stops you how to handle the cop don't run away from the cop do whatever the cop says in hopes that the cop does not shoot to kill instantly like we just see with a 13 year old little boy just recently this is usually talked among the black community maybe even a latino community at that but this is something that is a unfortunate norm in my community something that we had to get you know grow up with throughout our lives it is unfair it is unjust and if it is a hard discussion to have i may suggest and recommend that you use this episode you use this entire series as a way of really explaining to the kids that this actually really happens this is not just a fantasy thing this actually happens black men get stopped by the cops black men have been treated unfairly black women have been treated unfairly whether if it's from a financial standpoint or this is from a civil standpoint a citizen standpoint a humane standpoint we have been treated unfairly for not just 2020 not just 1991 2 3 4 5 6 7 60s the 50s the 30s 1900s it's been going on since we've been you know since our ancestors have been dragged to this country unwillingly this is a series that can help families get their kids to understand this is real kind of interjects it intertwines into the actual real events of the tuskegee experiments this was a very important episode and this is why this is considered my favorite episode in a bunch because again and it had a lot to do with isaiah because the first time we saw isaiah bradley i was first of all surprised that they were even going there that they even brought him in that they even brought this character in to do this because the isaiah bradley character holds some deep 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 storytelling about some things that i didn't know marvel was even going to advocate to and marvel is known for not holding back and I felt this was a absolutely phenomenal telling of this man's story. Um, just, just unbelievable. And, and might I say, because I got, I, I know the guy is uh, Mantis, and I know he's John's father. I got to get his name respectfully again because um, this, I, to me, was his best performance ever. Uh, I've seen him in a lot of things. Uh, Carl Lumbly. Uh, Absolutely. I've seen him play in a lot of great shows. He's played John uh, Jones on uh, Justice League Unlimited. He's phenomenal in there. He's played John's father on Supergirl. He's played in a whole bunch of other shows. He's even had his own 
superhero series on Fox called Demantis back in the day, which many consider a really great show. To me, this was his best performance ever. And if I ever have the honor and privilege to interview this guy, first of all, I'll probably, I'll probably tear up. Second, <laughs> I would have to address this. That like him playing Isaiah Bradley was amazing. This dude is astounding. Like this whole entire, this entire series needs to be award-winning. Like they, 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 they gave, um, what was it? Jessica Jones got the Peabody award and deservingly so. I think this series levels up to that of, uh, to, to Jessica Jones. I don't know if it's a Peabody award or whatever, but this is an award-winning series because they cover a lot that you didn't expect them to cover. You thought it was just going to be like, just, you know, good guy versus bad guy. No, 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 no. This, there was a underlying message that is not, that is now more of an overtone. <laughs> he did phenomenal with this. He did phenomenal. I just, I, I, I can't thank them enough for even bringing this to light. All of this, all of this to light here. So with that said, Sam and Sarah talk about Isaiah and what it all means um, for him and his next move. With no one interested in buying the boat, Sam calls on a bunch of favors from the community and that owes him their family, you know, a lot. And turns out that many in the community came along to help them get that boat back up and running, including Bucky. And I say that this needs to be how all communities work. This is another thing that I love about it. They gave us a blueprint on how we should work together as a community. I mean, not only that, like Bucky even came down, but he came down for a purpose. This was just a beautiful scene. And I wish that this happens more in the real world. I know it happens. It's just not enough. Bucky doesn't just come down to help. He also comes to deliver a suitcase designed and delivered from Wakanda. The, the suitcase is awesome. Hey, if they sell that as a replica, I want that suitcase. That suitcase is badass. Um, what I love about it is that Bucky tells him to sign for it and he will be on his way. Like, like he's a FedEx delivery guy. thought it was hilarious. Um, Bucky begins to go, but Sam insists that he stays and um, chill with the neighborhood. They will. They are the most welcoming neighborhood ever. And Bucky does agree to stay. <laughs> also want to point out that Bucky shows some interest in Sarah and Sam is not having it in this episode. He notices it at all. We then go to John as he uh, is visiting Lamar's parents to inform him uh, of his death. The parents love and respect John who really cared for Lamar and John vows to make it right. Now, you know, as much as I want to hate John Walker, AKA the US agent, they make it really hard for you to hate on him completely because he's in that gray because of his association with Lamar. And it doesn't, it just, it would be so easy to write him off as a racist dude or whatever like that. Or, but he's not, he's like, he actually has some kind of good intentions. His direction is wrong. His intentions is right. How he handles it is wrong, but it has no merit or any, you know, thing based upon who is what. But he does have a bit of a privilege issue 
and he does have a, some sense of entitlement that he kind of overlooks at times and it's shown very much especially during the scene with the Dore Malaje. <laughs> okay so I mean it's a it's an interesting situation and then now with the serum it even makes it worse meanwhile back at the headquarters where and at out in any other region where they uh were when they first met zemo and uh they met sharon sharon decides that she is uh sharon some is is actually talking to a man about another favor she needs from you can hear the voice on the phone and it is a dude speaking french and as a mixed martial arts fan myself I know GSP when I hear it, no matter if he's speaking French or or um, or if he's speaking uh, English. For those who don't know, George St. Pierre is one of the greatest mixed martial artists of all time. Absolutely one of the greatest of all time. And he is French Canadian. So, you know, for, for mixed martial arts fans, you hear this voice, you know, that iconic voice. And I'm like, OK, we, like I said, in, in episode one, the Leaper did not die. And I knew he was going to make a comeback. And in fact, it is GSP, a.k.a. LeBlanc, a.k.a. The Leaper. So this is going to be awesome. This begs the question here as to whether Sharon was the one behind the first caper that uh, they actually had. Because lo and behold, there was a mission for that. And somebody was, in, you know, taking orders for that. This goes deeper into what Sharon is what's going on with Sharon here. And here's my thing. I know Sharon uh, Carter from the comics. If I recall, she was like a director of S.H.I.E.L.D. in the comics. I don't know what's going on here and how she is aligning herself with the Leaper. And I know she's with along with some underhanded stuff. But what is her what is really, really going on with Sharon right now? Is she really becoming a villain in the Marvel Cinematic Universe? That's going to be interesting. Uh, I guess we'll find out next week on that note. We go back to... Uh, you know, we go back down south and Bucky wakes up while discovering that Sam's nephews are playing with the shield. Kind of makes him happy seeing that. And it made him think uh, seeing two young black kids with that shield, you know, was kind of cool. Bucky uh, heads to the boat to help Sam uh, some more while also talking to him about why Sam is giving away the shield and how and why it affected him so much as the two later practice throwing shields around together, which was an awesome scene. Absolutely awesome scene here. Um, Bucky explains that when Steve took him, uh, what he was uh, planning to, uh, when Steve and him talked, I, I should say, um, Bucky explains when uh, Steve and him talked about passing the shit on to Sam, that none of them really thought about what it felt like to be a black man to hold a shield and when he said that he also apologized to sam about that as well because they thought just giving the shield was a big honor and you got to remember these are two guys in a different time but they at the same time they lived in a white world and they don't see the trial and tribulations of what a black man goes through and they never did for three years especially because Bucky, both Bucky and Steve were iced up and taken away. So they never got to see all of the civil rights movement or anything that was going on through all the years that they've been around and they've been on ice or they've been away, you know, so they never got a chance to see any of this. They see a little bit now, but they don't quite understand it. And 
I, I love this part of Bucky that I'm seeing here. This We get to see a whole humanistic side of Bucky, um, which is awesome. It, it, it makes me love this character even more, way more now. I mean, I've always liked him, but I mean, he's now not the Winter Soldier. He is Bucky Barnes. He is, you know, just one of the coolest dudes right now. So while Bucky explains that, uh, what the shield meant to him, Sam reminds him empathetically that Steve is gone. And this is the first time they really announced that Steve has died in the entire series. Steve is dead. This is years after he, you know, he's no longer with us. There is no more Steve Rogers. When Sam says that, I actually paused my, um, pause my, uh, pause the show because I was uh, gathering notes and I just happened to pause right at the moment when Sam said that and the look on Bucky's face spoke volumes and it really, you know, when he reminded him of that. So like we got our answer. Steve is gone. Steve is there's Steve, Steve Rogers is not coming back. You know, thank you, Chris Evans, for your services and your time on the Marvel Cinematic Universe. You've done your service, man. So, um, Sam and Sarah are ready to paint over the family name on the refurbished boat. When all of a sudden Sarah says, uh, stop, we can't sell this boat. Sam is very relieved and happy and talks about preserving history and heritage. Uh, this is one of those situations, you know, based upon what this whole entire episode was about. I like the way that they put it all together. Sarah also tells Sam that he should not listen to Isaiah, uh, what Isaiah said and, you know, taking over the shield. Sam tells him that he's been through a lot, uh, but what he, uh, he's not the type of person that's just going to give up the fight here. So we then get treated to a training montage as Sam prepares to master the shield in order to take over the helm of Captain America. We then see Carly and the Flag Smashers in New York await for some help and uh, to even the odds uh, when the, re the Leaper appears and with a case that has some high-tech weapons one of the smashers uh, is a bit reluctant after uh, asking carly are we now criminals carly tells him according to the media they are they plan to make sure that the drc um you know situation uh never happens because they're deciding what's going to happen uh with all this entire situation leaper reminds carly that he is not there for the movement he is there to kill falcon Carly assures him that that will happen when she calls upon the followers of the Flag Smashers in Central Park awaiting for their command, which was like virtually everybody in Central Park. It's crazy. Torres later on contacts Sam, and who is watching the net, uh, the news of the Flag Smashers. He tells him that uh, he detected a scan located in New York. Sam knows exactly where they're heading and, and planning as well. Later in the GRC, headquarters uh the council is discussing what they're going to do when the members of the flag smashers who are pretending to be staff creates a diversion we then see sam open up the case prep for a huge battle and of course they don't show us the case or what's in the case for that matter so now we're left with the old brad pitt question what's in a box <laughs> sam takes a deep breath drinks it all in man and that's how the show ends. So, well, not exactly, except for the first time ever in this series, we get an end credit. 
we see John Walker preparing to uh, his own battle while designing his own shield. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, the U.S. agent is coming. He's coming next week. They are not playing around with this episode. This they don't. Pl- they aren't playing around with this series. This series. This episode was absolutely phenomenal. I loved every minute of it. Every word. Every moment. Everything about this episode meant something. Every word of it. Every line, every scene. And then the teaser that we're finally going to see this new suit that Sam is going to hold. And I guarantee you that's going to be the biggest talk next week. And the fact that they're teasing this and giving the history of really cool designs. We saw what they did with the Scarlet Witch last week. Let's see what the hell they do with Sam's suit. I am dying to find out. We got one more episode, the final episode, which airs on the same day as Mortal Kombat. I am ready for this. I am, I've never been more ready in my life to see this suit. And I got a feeling this suit is going to have everybody like, damn, this is going to go viral. I, I, I predict that this suit is going to go viral. This is going to be, they got to make this symbolic. This is going to set a standard for what we're about to see for the new Captain America. I cannot wait. This series, like everything Marvel Studios, virtually every thing that Marvel Studios has done has been outstanding. This, I, you know what's even worse? I'm trying to figure out if this episode, this series, in comparison to The Winter Soldier, this is, this is a series, but this is every bit as impactful as The Winter Soldier. And I'm almost thinking, this almost supersedes the winter soldier in terms of storytelling we will see it almost feels like the sequel to that so excuse me uh <laughs> we will see for that note so last bit of news i want to talk about is uh my thoughts on invincible which is also now airing on thursdays i believe it's to make sure that it is not competing with falcon and the winter soldier because it just they did the same thing with coming to america too uh the sequel as well so now it's airing on thursdays instead of fridays probably to get more viewership and it deserves more viewership if that's the case i'm pretty sure that that's the case i put money on that but this is getting so deep omni man the, the basic premise of this entire episode is that, that omni man is discovering that debbie is aware of the murders that he uh uh conducted in this so we begin this episode with three sorority girls walking into campus and they're drunk they're partially drunk when a drunk guy named doug played by rick and marty creator justin Rowland, awesome comes from out of the uh bushes claiming to be um the son of uh the owner of chester pharmaceuticals who claims to own half the university it, this is total rick and marty rick drunk fashion too like he does the bur- the, the uh iconic burp if you will and here is pretty it's pretty hilarious um suddenly as the ladies uh as the ladies leave a man comes from behind him and injects something that is clearly not the vaccine knocking him unconscious doug wakes up to a man named da sinclair played by of all people ezra miller yes the flash from justice league the snyder cut <laughs> He is now playing the the antagonist here, a a, a pretty much entitled uh, scientist, student uh, scientist here, way beyond his years. 
Sinclair then realizes that he uh that there are a few cyborgs hitting in the uh not Sinclair, um Doug actually uh then realizes that there are a few cyborgs hit cyborg bodies or experimental bodies hitting in the dark and realize then realizes that even more that he has been experimented on as his, partially his arm is replaced by cybernetics. Sinclair then takes out his vocal cords and they actually show him doing this, by the way, it was really disgusting. Uh, <laughs> and as uh, he tells him that he is done with, when he's done with him, he will be invincible. And then of course the title comes up. We then go to the lab where Monster Girl, or the Pentagon actually, where Monster Girl is being treated along with uh, Black Samson. Because if you guys remember last episode, they were fighting against Machine Man and Battle Beast just pretty much brutalized everybody. I mean, brutalized everybody. I'm surprised any of these guys are alive. Robot appears and says that he has the technology and understanding to keep her alive. And another part of the uh, lab they are attempting to help Black Samson as well, who is suddenly manages to save his vital uh, his vitals, and he returns. Uh, meanwhile, in other in another uh, operating room, we got Mark, who again was being worked on after Battle Beast punched a hole into him. You can see his guts and everything. It was cr pretty crazy. Um, both Debbie and Nolan, Omni Man looks uh, and, and through the glass and hopes that he makes it while also Debbie is tearing Nolan in half verbally like she is getting so frustrated with everything that's happening with um with Nolan right now Adam Eve walks in and tells Mark that Amber uh thinks that he was hit by a bus after he recovers of course when then we then go back to the agency where Cecil Stedman played by Walton uh Goggin, uh Gogans I think it's Gogans or Goggins. Um, but he's, you know him from the Unicorn. He's also played in Sons of Anarchy. Really great actor. Um, as he watches the robot care for Monster Girl. Omni-Man then walks up to Cecil as uh, the two begin to discuss the status of Damien Darkblood, who was framed for the murder of the Guardians of the Globe. Now, take note, Cecil knows that Darkblood didn't do it, but he is covering it up to make sure that he doesn't continue their investigation without interruption because the idea is that he wants to make sure that not only he's clear but they have a way of apprehending uh omni-man in this case um mark met up with amber and for some reason st he still refuses to tell her the truth and which is getting him every time into more deeper trouble in this episode, we also see Mark's friend William discover that Mark is invincible as well. We'll talk about it a little bit later. But after uh, they, you know, him and Amber go on a trip to see Mark's friend William, uh, uh, to, to see, uh, I'm sorry, uh, William's friend uh, Rick, who uh, he has feelings for. Eve also decides to skip college and go on her own to pursue her own self as a hero leaving her parents in the process. Thank goodness, because his her father was, a, was such a jerk. Shout out to Fred Tattashore, by the way, um, who does the role for that. Um, Mark respects and agrees with her decision, which she's amazed because it's something that Rex would never do. And that only makes her more attracted to him in this case. Um, as the three leave for their trip, we see Debbie immediately walk away from Nolan, distancing herself completely which he begins to realize something is definitely wrong. 
We then see Omni-Man find uh, the trash bag of evidence she finds in the last episode after she walks off with him. He wants to go with her, basically, to do whatever she is he has to do, but he claim- she claims that uh, he has work to do her own. So, you know, how can you have time for me if you got stuff to do? So that leads him to search around the house. He finds the trash bag, so he definitely knows that Debbie knows. Debbie is heading act- is actually heading to Art, uh, who is their costume designer, played by Mark Hamill. To learn more about the blood Omni-Man, uh, the blood in Omni-Man's costume that he wore the day of the uh, Globe murders. Mark, Amber, and William, on me, uh, meanwhile, are with Rick at the university and as um, they pass a bulletin showing the missing students. One of them is Doug Cheston, who was taken in the beginning of the episode. The, what is it? The gang ends up on... Uh, you know, and a biology course. And D.A. Sinclair interjects the lesson opposing the professor's teaching about biology. Amber, William, and Rick uh, step up to Sinclair due to his rudeness when Sinclair takes a bit of an interest in Rick. Sinclair decides to leave the course, vowing to meet up with Rick sometime soon, and that he does. Later, we see the four hang out on campus, but decide to split up for a while to have some quality time with, you know, with the couples with each couple later we see the four get back together when all of a sudden an explosion happens and it just happens to be one of sinclair's cyborgs amber tries to bravely uh get people to run away from the uh, scene of the crime and things get you know begin things get really nasty as she realizes that mark ran she thinks mark ran away when in fact he mostly became invincible to protect the cyborg from william it is at this time when Rium looks closely to Invincible and realizes that it is Mark. So he discovers that it is Mark in there. Mark comes out uh, back from them after defeating the cyborg who ends up killing him, uh, itself. And the three pretty much, uh, he checks up on the three to see if they're okay. But Amber is incredibly upset because she saw that he ditched them to save his own ass. So that's what she thinks. As a result, she pretty much is breaking up with him, even though they are bunking in the same campus. We go back to the Pentagon and we see Robot bring the doctors uh, the item needed to save Monster Girl and the curse that she has. Um, Samson informs Robot that he's, uh, you know, he's creating feelings for Monster Girl, despite the fact that he is a robot that wasn't programmed to have feelings. We then go to Art's headquarters as he explains to Debbie of the forensic discoveries based upon Omni-Man's costume. The evidence is very clear. Debbie asks Art to tell no one. Art informs her that he's way too scared to tell anyone. As they are in there, Nolan is actually hovering over the art shop, which that's not a good thing. Meanwhile, Adam Eve is seen helping others around the world, saving people while also restoring and preserving the environment as well. Uh, she feels a sense of relief and this is the part of altruism that comes, that comes into argument. You know, she feels, uh, she feels vindicated for what she's done. She feels, um, you know, relieved, liberated, if you will, for what she does later. We see the robot, with the Mahler twins as they discover as they're regenerating a some type of a bee uh genetically re, you know cloning uh somebody of sorts 
Um, they're discussing the progress of the experiment that Robot has hired them to do. Uh, they don't trust Robot, and they're going to try to have some assurance of making sure that he does exactly what they said that they were going to do. Amber is seen walking along the halls, and the guy creeps up behind her to give her a flyer to some frat party. Um, while back in the dorm, William is talking to Rick via FaceTime and is returning to the uh, dorm when suddenly he appears to be abducted while on FaceTime. William is worried and asks Mark to help him with Rick. Mark, however, is more interested in finding Amber, who is attending this party that she was invited to. William then decides to go on her own to search uh, on his own to search for Rick. Going forward, we see Art leave the shop as Omni-Man is waiting for him right behind him. And at this point, I'm thinking like, oh, this dude's so dead. <laughs> Art is scared out of his ass, wondering if uh, he knows anything about Debbie and in, in the investigation. When Omni decides to stay for have, to have a couple beers, I'm still like the last thing y'all want to do with Omni-Man is drink and be you know and not be coherent as this dude could probably just pluck my head off with just with ease meanwhile amber and mark attend the frat party william is on a hunt for rick and as he finds the crack phone owned by uh rick he also finds a uh he also finds a sewer with his shoe nearby and decides to go down to the sewer he notices that the shoe was in there he goes in uh, we find we see Omni and Art drinking. Meanwhile, on the rooftop again, I would not do this. I don't. I look. I don't know if this would. I would advise this. But again, he's not supposed. He's supposed to act like things are normal. I don't know how normal this is with those two hanging around on the rooftop. Like Omni reveals that what he's doing, he could easily just drop him off the roof. Hell, Omni can throw him into space. For God's sake, I mean, it's just that bad. <laughs> this is the last time that we see Art at this time. And I got a feeling that we're going to find out what happens with art next week. Mark is at a party at the frat party and finds Amber with the guy that he invited her. And Amber tries to be flirty with the uh, with him when the guy tells her uh, that his girlfriend will be transferring to the campus next semester. Amber did not want to hear that at all. She wanted to get take advantage of the whole thing and couldn't. Mark then uh, gets a call from William, who is in the sewers and can barely have any bandwidth connection to talk with him. Mark at least tells him that he can't right, talk right now. When all of a sudden he sees one of the cyborgs he fought against William with him. And Mark has no choice but then to leave to find William ASAP before anything happens. The cyborg takes William into the sewer where Sinclair and William are at and Invincible goes into the sewer to find them as well. Mark manages to find, uh, manages to make it uh, just in time before the uh, experiment happens with Sinclair, with um, William. As Invincible grabs onto one of the cyborgs, he takes off the head and only to discover that it is actually Rick. William attempts to reason with Rick but who is fighting uh, Invisible, but Sinclair informs him <laughs> that he took out uh, a part of his brain that inhabits emotion. At least that's what he thought. Williams is still not giving up as he keeps trying to talk him out of uh, fighting by seeing if he can remember the time that they had passionate lovemaking the year prior to this. Um, 
And it just like that, Rick manages to regain consciousness and fights off the other cyborgs to help Invincible. With his plans foiled, Sinclair decides to escape, but fails to do so thanks to William, who tackles him and takes him down, begins to ground and pound him with a number of hammer fists. If you watch mixed martial arts, and I think Robert Kirkman is a mixed martial arts fan because this is exactly what mixed martial artists do when they are on top of a, an opponent. They lay, they do what is called ground and pound. They rather throw a series of punches or they do a hammer punch, which is just like basically, you know, throwing hammers. Like it's just like throwing your fists down and hammering them. And that causes a lot of damage, a lot of damage to people. Um, so you know, I like that scene because it was kind of legit. Like this, this is exactly something he would do. So he, you know, those hammer fists were effective. And the last blow was given by Invincible, who gave him the ultimate back fist, dislocating his jaw from his mouth. We later see Cecil and the agency uh, come along with the paramedics um, to take Sinclair and the others away. Invincible asked if there's uh, if they can help Rick and the others, and Cecil said they will try. Cecil seemed to be more impressed with Sinclair uh, was and how he was able to make these cyborgs in the sewer and, and with the lack of technology that it had in the sewer. This leads me to believe that Cecil will not actually will try to use Sinclair to find a way to defeat Omni-Man because he, in, in his words, these cyborgs gave Invincible a run for their money. And I think that there's going to be something deeper to this with Cecil. Cecil is not nowhere near in the clear. The two return to the dorm as William breaks down and cries while Mark is consoling his friend. Uh, Mark goes and checks up on Amber, who is pretending to be asleep, but he decides not to disturb her. Amber is up the entire time. We also see Adam return to the treehouse, uh, to which uh, she goes to her bed. The treehouse that she created by herself is an awesome little treehouse. Um, but she looks very happy to be able to help people around the world. We also see Omni return home to confront Debbie, uh, who has been drinking heavily, like red wine, like a whole bottle of red wine. The minute he steps in, she bravely asks him why. William pretends to act like he doesn't know what she's talking about and says, why what? She goes straight into it and says, why did you kill the Guardians? Nolan says that, you know, claims that she's drunk and they'll talk about it in the morning. Debbie angrily throws the red wine bottle to Nolan, to which he catches it with ease, walks up to him and says, F you, Frank. Of course, she didn't say just F uh, to Nolan and then walks upstairs, slams the door. As she slams the door onto him, he crushes the bottle with his hand and then followed by punching a giant hole into the wall. He sits in his favorite chair and ponders on it and as to what he'll do next. And that's how this episode ends, except much like Falcon and the Winter Soldier, we get an end credit scene. We suddenly see two kids dig, uh, dig a grave to find a skull of an immortal to which, uh, According to Reddit, <laughs> this guy claims that by drinking out of the skull, you will gain the powers of this immortal. <laughs> Good looking out, Reddit. You got these two kids killed because suddenly the Mahler twins come who appears to remind them not to believe everything they read on the Internet. And that's how this episode ended. This series, I got to say, I watched a lot of animated shows from 
Image Comics that they were had the ability to read. Uh, we got Wildcats, we got Spawn. Uh, what is the other one? Uh, Savage Dragon came out. And as much as I love Spawn, Robert Kirkman's Invincible supersedes not only Spawn, but all of these image comic books uh, shows that have come out in the past. This show is so awesome. This is so, so, so awesome. Like it has all of the elements of comics like The Boys, uh, Spider-Man, um, even even like Watchmen in some cases too. I mean, it has a lot of those elements that those little gray area elements in here and stuff like that. It's really cool. It is really cool. Robert Kirkman is a tremendous writer <laughs> in this case. So, folks, that will do it for what's new in the world of ACM, uh, ACMG. We're going to take a break, come back, and we're going to count down to combat. We're going to talk about all of the movies and TV shows that led up to what's about to happen on the 23rd of April. We'll do that right after this. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Dax Xavier Josiah, the host of ACMG Presents Talk Time Live, the podcast. You want to catch up with all of our podcast shows and hear from some of the hottest names in all of anime, comics, movies, and games, such as... This is Miley Flanagan, the voice of Naruto. This is Stephanie Shea, the voice of Sailor Moon. This is Ruben Langdon, the voice of Ken Masters and Dante from Devil May Cry. Hey there, this is Kyle Abair, the voice of Ryu from Street Fighter V. This is Chris Battle, character designer of Teen Titans Go! Here's your chance to check out all of that and more on Talk Time Live. TalkTimeLive.com provides all of our ACMG content with new and previous episodes, exclusive interviews, articles, and much more. Visit TalkTimeLive.com and let us help you learn to let go, live life, and love all things ACMG. Talk Time Live! This is Tom Gibbous, the voice of Shikamaru Nara from Naruto, and you are listening to ACMG Presents Talk Time Live. And it's not a drag. Do it. And now it's time for our talk topic of the week. Ready? Fight! Folks, we are back with our talk topic of the week, and we're going to look back at all of the Mortal Kombat content leading up to the reboot coming on April. 23rd this Friday now it was expected to come on the 16th, but they postponed that for Godzilla versus Kong. And I'm starting to rethink that. Like I, I really wish they didn't do it, but I understand that you know, that movie was making a lot of cash in the theaters in actual theaters. So I can understand that, but I'm looking back like, is anybody really talking about that movie now? I mean, the movie was great. We, I, you know, I reviewed it last week and it was awesome or, or a week or two ago and it was awesome. But you know, next, <laughs> so Mortal Kombat is coming on uh, 23rd this weekend and prep for that I wanted to look back and watch the original Mortal Kombat and unfortunately Annihilation as well but also talk about the, everything that this game series has spawned the TV series the you know the live action series and everything leading up to now even last year's uh, Scorpion's Revenge and everything look back at that so first of all I want to say that I'm preparing big for this. Like I'm going big for Mortal Kombat, the reboot, whether it's good or bad, I'm going to go big. I decided for the first time ever that I'm going to order my first Chicago deep dish pizza. Uh, Harry and Davids, I don't know if you guys, you know, a lot of you guys may have known about this company, but Harry and Davids, they, you know, make a lot of really, really, really good food over there. And it's like stuff that you would never see. Like, uh, for my birthday, my wife got me the lobster pot pie. I highly recommend that. That is so awesome. It is so great. Not cheap either. Of course, if you gotta believe, but 
they have a lot of other items too. And I saw this deep dish Chicago style pizza, this meat lovers deal that they have is like, it, I, I've never had a Chicago deep dish before ever. So this will be the first time I'm doing it. It's going to be one of pepperoni and one of sausage. Um, you can order on Harriet Davids. I don't know why I'm endorsing them. I'm not getting anything out of it, but I've heard many of things about this and it's a Uno pizza. I haven't, Uno's hasn't been around. We had a Uno's here in South street in Philadelphia, but they're no longer, but I'm looking forward to having this. This looks good. It'll be my first Chicago deep dish and I'm going to get it ready for the premiere of Mortal Kombat and Falcon and the Winter Soldier series finale as well. So it's going to be a great Friday. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it, but I digress. Let's talk about Mortal Kombat, NetherRealm Studios, Ed Boon, John Tobias, and the phenomenon that has brought us some of the most enjoyable violence we've ever seen. And this series that started off as a video game, fighting game to rival Street Fighter uh, has went on to become one of the most iconic cult classic movies ever. And, and is, it was once said to be the greatest video game movie or video game based movie ever done because anything after that, it just didn't live up. Street Fighter, Mario Brothers. Um, there was a lot of games that came out, you know, game movies based on games that didn't live up even to this day. Like, my God, have you even seen King of Fighters. I know a lot of you don't even realize that King of Fighters even had a movie. They had a movie and it is terrible. Ray Park is in here. It is horrible. Absolutely, insanely atrocious. There's also Tekken. There's, I mean, there's plenty of other movies. It wasn't until I'd say one of the best movies to come out since then is probably Sonic. Um, there's another you know, live action movie that I think was really good too, but it's just not that many, but Mortal Kombat was like the first to really, that everybody said they love. I went in, I went to see it in theaters in 95. Um, it really is just a lot of fun. Now I watched it again, yes, last night, and I still say it's a lot of fun. It is in fact a bit little, it's, it's now considered cheesy. It has dated, uh, it is a bit dated in terms of, you know, um, dialogue and, and special effects, but there is still a lot of charm to this. It was done really well at the time. Of course, you guys know that, uh, director of this was, um, the director was, uh, Simon Mc, um, wait, not, that's a new director for this. I need the 95 director. Of course it was, um, Deb Paul W S Anderson, who went on to do the uh, Resident Evil movies and got some success out of that, but he also then did the last year's Monster Hunter movie that I, um, but he, you know, this is where he originally got his fame from. He got his, he got his claim to fame from doing this movie because this movie at the time was so well received that, and, and mostly because it was, it really took the essence of the video game and actually brought it to you know it, it was unafraid to be what it was supposed to be and i think that's where it went so right with it that's where i think paul went so well with this and it it it, it was the same basic story that you saw from the actual game brought to life and expanded on here and even though this is kind of taken a lot from you know um enter the dragon obviously 
they put their own spin on it, you know, adding the Mortal Kombat tournament and the roles and all that stuff to it. So Ed Boon was the writer and John Tobias was the writer of this too. So they, you know, get credit for that as well. But then you also had the cast you had. And I think I, I want to give particularly two MVPs to why this movie, I think, was successful. One was Raiden, played by the legendary Christopher Lambert. Christopher Lambert, as many of you know, who are who have watched, you know, movies from the 80s and all the stuff, know him from Highlander. He is, you know, Connor McCloud. You watched him. He's become that character and he's become iconic in his own way. Like Highlander is one of the best movies ever <laughs> of action movies. If you haven't seen Highlander and you don't know who Christopher Lambert is at this point and you don't know why that they made him as a special character for the Mortal Kombat 11 game, I invite you to go back and find Highlander, which is available for free on Amazon Prime. You can check it out there. The very first Highlander was so awesome. It had everything. It had Queen's uh, Queen doing the theme music for it and stuff. Uh, Princess of, Prince of the Universe was that was an awesome song. It really helped that make that movie. But Con, uh, Christopher Lambert's role as Connor McCloud has been awesome. But he also did really well as Lord Raiden in this movie as well. He he, I thought he did a really great job. You didn't think of him as Connor McCloud. He played that role really well. The other is Carrie Harry. Hideo, Hidoyoki Tagawa playing Shang Tsung also reprised his role in the in the uh, new in the recent Mortal Kombat 11 game. He reprises his role as Shang Tsung. Why? Because he was freaking awesome. It's a testament of both of them. Then you had also Robin Sho, who everybody felt was the Liu Kang, you know, for live action turns. Like he did a tremendous job. He 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 made it believable to play that role um and then robin show kind of went on to do annihilation which unfortunately he probably shouldn't have and also but it's still you know what i think the only plus to that and we'll get to that soon is that he still reestablished himself as the um you know Liu kang at the time um by still remaining that linden uh linden apsey played johnny cage was really the greatest comic relief for this series um he was pretty uh, he was pretty awesome here we also had bridget wilson uh sampras who i believe both Lyndon and bridget bridget also is seen on the new mortal kombat 11 game they actually have skins that reprises them and their voices are in there too if i'm correct so they're both back in the game as well uh then everybody else just comes in and follows we had uh Talisa Soto as Katana, who also reprised her role on Annihilations. Um, fun fact, I did not know that she was married to Benjamin Bratt. I did not know this. Benjamin Bratt, you guys know, she play, he played in a ton of different um, shows and movies. He was on Star uh, recently, and then um, he was also last seen in uh, uh, Doctor Strange. That's the last time I saw him was on Doctor Strange. Um, when when they, uh, he got his, you know, magic taken away from Baron Mordu at the end and all this stuff. So you also had Trevor Goodard who played Kano. I thought he was awesome as Kano. Uh, then everybody else came afterwards, like Sub-Zeros and the Scorpions, um, the Reptiles. Um, you had a lot of, a lot of different people in here. Like, and some of them are basically 
some of them are basically uh what was cool about this movie was a lot of the fighters in here the actual fighters they were actual trained fighters but they were also performers that went on to play in the series in the tv series known as wmac masters which was really kind of a cheesy but awesome tv show that had that pretty much played like a competition type of situation but it starred a bunch of not only actors who played on the mortal kombat movie but actors who played in the original mortal kombat game so i mean i i love love loved watching that and it was awesome it was it was really a lot of fun to watch that but a lot of them played in here hakeem uh aston he was known as hakeem the machine on air his yo his his braid game was so tight literally <laughs> his braid game was i don't even know what that dude looks like now i gotta look him up sometime and see what that but you got all you know all these characters everything just felt despite its campiness despite it's you know the the cgi which back then was a big deal and it, it was a big deal back then because we didn't see technology like that we didn't see cgi like that or animation like that happen it was a step up from what it was it was a step up from what we're used to seeing now and now it's eons away from what we see like the kind of special effects and cgi animation that we see now in this movie we see now storyboard writing that you know because now they can layer it so much now to make it actually look authentic and real more than they ever did but even still to what they were doing back then it was fine and i think the other thing that exposes these special effects here now is that we have hd tvs we got 4k tvs now which back then we we were still in the uh the the mercury tube era you know the regular tubes there was no real high definition there was no digital back then so if we saw this on a vhs tape and we saw it on our tv you couldn't really see you couldn't really see the exposure the exposed situations of the special effects like scorpion's um hand you know you know grappling hook coming out of his hand and everything and you, you couldn't see that it didn't look it looked more authentic back then because there was you didn't high dev, have high definition you know you know movie screens or tvs are now that really exposes that you can't you can see the green screen effects and all the stuff now i would still say that they did a great job in making all that as believable as it could be and for that this movie still has its charm this movie still has its charm i cannot speak for the travesty that is mortal kombat uh mortal kombat annihilations which came shortly after that but we'll talk about that after the fact of talking about the success of mortal kombat the 90, 1995 version which ended up spawning a tv a actual animated series uh which was on the usa network in 1996. it wasn't the best like cartoon ever it was actually what i hated about it it felt more like a gi joe series not like the tournament the animation this was the 90s too and i've mentioned this before animation in the 90s in america was so bad <laughs> it was so bad um the 80s it was like we had great animation from disney to warner brothers to mgm which had tom and jerry and all this stuff and it, you know great animation styles and all this stuff you know frame rate frames were smooth and fluid movements and everything 
1990s came and so did the budget. They cut down the budget. They saw the success of uh, Ren and Stimpy and then followed by that um, Beavis and Butthead and felt like these two shows got success without having to spend all that money to make a Transformers or a G.I. Joe or Voltron or, you know, use those type of deals. And they just started making these crudely drawn cartoons that just didn't work. And Mortal Kombat was one of them. Street Fighter also was on the USA Network as well, along with some of the Image Comics, uh, comics uh, cartoons that I was talking about earlier in the other segment. And it just didn't live up. Um, you, first of all, you, you had a Saturday morning cartoon from Mortal Kombat, which is known as one of the most violent video games ever. So you couldn't do fatalities in this thing. It did not need, like, what they're doing now, what they did with Scorpion's Revenge, that's what we should have got out of the USA Network. But you could never get away with doing what they did with Scorpion's Revenge on the USA Network, which was a nationally televised cable network. Uh, still is to this day. And it just didn't work. It, it was a horrible cartoon um didn't really result into anything they were actually you know coming off like gi joe and, they, and you know what's funny they kind of are now with the new 11 but at least it made more sense in the way that they're doing it the stories that went on with this it just didn't make sense so <laughs> it got worse when we got to 1997 mortal kombat annihilation you know what's the weird part is that for some reason Mortal Kombat, the 1995 movie, the one that everybody loves, is not on HBO Max. In its place, for some reason, and I don't know if this was strategy, if this is intentional or not, or this is strategy, they put in Annihilation and Scorpion's Revenge, which is available on HBO Max. Netflix did have the 1995 Mortal Kombat, but I think they removed it for some odd reason. Um, it's on Amazon Prime. You could buy it for $6.99, and that's what I did, and that's how I ended up watching it last night. But then I really tortured myself. After having a good time watching the original Mortal Kombat, I went on and decided to watch Annihilation. And I knew how bad this movie was, and I haven't seen it in years. And I even said the last time that I watched it, I would never watch it again. But I couldn't do it because... I wanted to compare and contrast. And at the time, when I said that, I didn't have a podcast to complain and rant about this like I do now. So I decided to torture myself by watching Annihilation, which unfortunately was my own doing. I watched this movie, which was an hour and 35 minutes, and my God, did it feel like forever. You know how people complained about the, this, the Snyder Cut? Zack Snyder's... Uh, Justice League and how it was four hours and two minutes. Dude, that was four hours and two minutes of awesomeness. That movie had me enjoying it for binging, binging on it and enjoying every minute of it. You watch that. And if you complain, I challenge you to watch this. And even though it's an hour and 35 minutes, that is that it feels like more than four hours and two minutes. And it dragged and it dragged and it dragged and the special effects or everything that was so fun and cool about the 1995 one by Paul W.S. Anderson. This one directed by John R. Leonetti, who is a cinematographer for other movies. This 
was beyond horrible. Now, Ed Boon, once again, I believe, wrote the wrote for this movie, but also uh, Lawrence uh, Kasanoff also wrote this movie as well, amongst uh, a few others. John Tobias also did. Joshua Wexler. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm naming names for this travesty. Brent Friedman did the screenplay and Bryce Sable, who also did the screenplay. And my God, what the hell were they doing? This was just a money grab. And Ed Boon went on to say, when I think there was a, uh, there's some fun facts that I will do here. There's some trivia in here that I will mention too, because this trivia about this movie was priceless. The reviews on IMDb, even more priceless. Hilarious. And I think this is reviewed by people who watched it for the first time ever. <laughs> it's just, it's so hilarious. But there was a lot of change that went on to Annihilation. Robin Show, while he stayed as Liu Kang, and Talisa Salto, who remained as Katana. There was a lot of, there was a lot of fall through here. And a lot of people that was in the original did not come on to do this one after reading the script. I believe one of them was probably Christopher Lampert, who decided not to do it. And in his place of all people, and I totally forgot about this, was James Remar. And I watched this, and I'm like, this, because this was years ago. This was in 97, it's 2021. So this dude looks plenty younger <laughs> than he is, than he does now. And I'm listening to this voice, and I'm like, his voice never changed. I'm listening to the voice, I'm like, this voice sounds so familiar. So I'm looking at IMDb, and I look at it, and I'm like, holy crap, this is Gamby from Black Lightning. <laughs> I totally forgot he was Raiden. So, but the only thing that made it, you know, stand out was his voice, which is still the exact same smooth, cool voice. He's awesome as Gamby. He was okay as Raiden. I'm not gonna say he was awful. I, I would say like, this is one of those movies like Fantastic Four, the recent Fantastic Four, the last Fantastic Four, where it wasn't about the actors their portrayals it was more or less about the writing in this case james did fair with this role but compared to christopher lambert which everybody loved it, it just couldn't hold you also had uh a new sonya blade in this place was sandra hess this was so funny they had sandra hess play as as um sonya blade beautiful woman absolutely beautiful woman but i think they played upon this this woman and her beauty and her assets because for whatever reason john leonetti had this woman wear this white tank top that with no bra and just showed all it, it was just more appealing that you just saw her in this white deal all the time and that was the key thing because you know what happens in the middle of this long, boring tragedy of a movie is that she gets into a fight with Melina. She gets into this mud fest with Melina. Jax is there with her. They get muddy. All of a sudden, they walk away. They meet up with the rest of the gang later on in the film, like five minutes later on. And how in the hell does she even have a brand new absolutely clean tank top 
ladies and gentlemen, I give you 90s comic book and video game based movies. Movies where the directors are not fans of this series, they've never played the series, they never invested in the series, and they feel that they understand how to tell a story. And it and it's because of that in many other games. This was the epitome of why I hated 90s comic book movies and and video game movies because they were they were held by studios and directors who weren't fans of this. Thank goodness we have fans of these shows now. We have fans of these series now because they're putting a lot of care into this. They're putting a lot of their fandom into this and it shows. So say what you will about a lot of today's movies. They're being done by people who actually care about the franchise, who are fans of the franchise, who understands the mythology and the lore and, if, and, and everything about it. You don't have people like this. There's a rare, there's a, now not everybody in today's movies have successfully did it. This is one or two movies that had people that, that, that totally screwed it up. I, I would say the guy who did Venom, I thought that was, that was just not good. Uh, it was done in a total 90s fashion with a 90s mentality. Um, you just never want to get people who are not fans of the series because they will tear it up. They will destroy it. And that was one of the great examples right there. But they were in the 90s. There was a bunch of these uh, movies. Um, God, Punisher with Dolph Lundgren. Um, God, what else? Captain America, the original Captain America movie from the 90s, which only had like 10 minutes of fanfare. And the rest of it was just going somewhere else. Just terrible. And then you had this. I mean, it was just, it was just so bad. You had Lynn uh, Red Williams play Jax. <sighs> he wasn't terrible. The only thing I will fault him for, and this was the times, is that he had to play that, that quintessential stereotypical black dude that was just all hype. And all, you know, he, he I, uh, it, it was just so bad. <laughs> it was just, I would have fought him completely with that, but it was just bad, but not as bad as Brian Thompson as Shell Khan, who, oh my God, that's who, he, no way. I'm reading something right now. I did not, I was not aware of this. But Brian Thompson, who played Shell Khan, who looked like uh, Clancy Brown, he looked like a, what I call a basement level flea market version of Clancy Brown. Again, I'm bringing up a Highlander reference because Clancy Brown, who many of you know, who played so many great roles on an in animated shows and in movies, who's an awesome actor. And he is the, he is the Kurgan on the original Highlanders series with Christopher Lambert. Yeah, it's, you know, it's better to burn out than to fade away. That dude. This guy played an awful version of him. He, he, it's like they tried to, 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 it was like the directors wanted to give that to Kurgan like image to Shell Khan. And instead, it just looked horrible in his execution. His acting was horrible in his execution. He was the only one. And I'll bring up another person in here that was just terrible. It was, it was so, it was like he was trying to have the Kurgan meets Shakespeare. And it was, it, it was just a bad mix. And then on top of that, his lines, the lines that he were given were bad. And it's, it's just terrible. I didn't realize this, but 
Rainer Scone, I believe is his name, played Shinnok. I, I did not realize that the guy. Yeah. Oh, my God. I didn't realize that was supposed to be Shinnok. Um, there was a guy who played who claims to be Shao Kahn's father was called Shinnok. And then even on top of that, apparently later on in the movie, it is revealed that Shao Kahn is the brother of um Raiden, which means Shinnok was their father. I did not know that he was Shinnok because I don't think they ever mentioned his name as Shinnok in the in the, in this deal. This is just horrible. The storyteller was just bad. It's just so bad. Um then you had one of the other worst actors. One of them. And, and here's the thing. I blame this movie. I don't blame the actors because a lot of these actors went on to do stuff, even to this day. Some of them are still doing roles to this day. Musetta Vander played Sindel, and she had, without a doubt, the most cheesiest lines I've ever heard in anything. And I'm looking at I was dying. I had, you know, people on uh, I posted on, you know, my ACMG Facebook group that I was watching this again. And some of them were watching Annihilation at the time, too. And, you know, shout out to my man, Nash, who claimed that he was he used Annihilation as a drinking game many a times. And at, just in the first four minutes of the movie, I understand why I'm I'm straight edge. I wanted to drink. <laughs> I, this was just it was so much bad. Uh, Darren McBee, who is Mataro, who I. I had to figure out, like, I saw this dude from somewhere before. It turns out he was on an episode of uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm. So I noticed. And I was reminded that he was also an American Gladiator as well. Uh, Night Wolf. Uh, Johnny Cage, which wasn't an error that took Lyndon uh, Apsey's place, uh, Chris Conrad, and who ended up getting killed. And I think that was one of the biggest reasons why he decided not to take on the role. It was an error. They just cramped. And the other thing, too, is that this movie, they cramped a lot of characters in here almost a la x3 in a sense just to get them in here there was which led to a lot of loophole uh you know plot holes in there for instance there was never any mention of the Lin Kuei in this movie nor in the first movie but they were in there so at this point you got smoke in here you had cyrax you had scorpion and you know nabe sabat in here but more or less cyrax and smoke who were already their cybernetic versions, which in the game lore, the game storytelling, they don't, the Link Koi doesn't become cyborg until three. Meanwhile, they're in two. So they're trying to cram two and three together at once without any explanation of how these ninjas became cyborgs. The only thing I found really endearing about this is that they, it looked like they used the same exact costumes from the video game that they used for the video game in here so i that was just there was so many unanswered questions so many disastrous points in here it was just terrible and it was supposed to take place after the events of the last movie which there was supposed to be a lot to be planned here so i want to read off some of the trivia for annihilation 2 uh apparently michael jai white was scheduled to play as Jax, but eventually he got to uh, the lead part for spawn which i thought was a much better movie that was one of the again Again, that was a movie that doesn't get enough credit. They did a fairly good job. It wasn't the best thing I've saw from a spawn from uh, a superhero movie, but that was a surprisingly good 
movie. It wasn't like the best in terms of like blow away. Like Blade gets that credit, <laughs> but um, Spawn was pretty good. He would have, but it was it still captured the campiness. Whereas Blade really stepped up and said like we can really make a really good movie, and it became the template to everything that we have now. Again, thank you, Wesley Snipes. Um, so that's that was the situation there. He uh, he would eventually portray Jackson Mortal Kombat Rebirth, which we'll talk about as well, and return to in Mortal Kombat Legacy as well in 2011, uh, 2010 and 2011. Um, here's something that says goofs. During the fight between Sub-Zero and Scorpion, a bridge of ice is knocked a long way down into the lava which is heavily obscured by smoke. Later, Sub-Zero is knocked down and the stream is shown to only be a few feet <laughs> down and isn't obscured at all. <laughs> oh God. Uh, there, was, there was so many things in here. Uh, ladies, they also talk about um, how Lyndon Apsey um, also did not, he decided not to take on the role after reading the script here. Um, it was just so many bad things about this movie and i was so happy after it was over it felt like it took forever and i will say right here right now this is the absolute last time i will watch mortal kombat annihilation there is no other reason for me to watch it especially when we have a new movie coming out i will always love 1995 and i will always cherish and watch 1995. i will i officially do not recognize Mortal Kombat Annihilation of his existence at all. No, 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 no. So, um, so later on, we haven't had a movie since, and everybody's been clamoring to to have some redemption of what could have been a really great series after '95. So, what we got instead was a live-action TV series called Mortal Kombat Conquest, which um, aired from 1980. Eight to 1989 is that even right can't be right no that can't be right at all let me look at that i'm pretty sure i wrote that wrong but in hindsight the series was based around kung lao it was a uh it was pretty much a uh what would you call that yeah, here it is. yeah no it was 1988 and 1999 okay so yeah i did write that wrong um but mortal kombat conquest was basically telling the story but this was before the tournament but it was supposed to be based around the um the actual movie of 95 but it was based on the past when we talked about kung lao making his triumph um uh, you know has uh, after his triumphant return um win from the original mortal kombat tournament and after defeating uh shang soon having the same earth realm at the time he was training a new generation of warriors for the next tournament so this uh had a bunch of different characters in here it was actually it was received it was probably pretty good uh pretty well received at the time um it, it was a, str a much stronger storyline and narrative um than it was on the on the other side uh bruce Locke, who plays shang soon was actually pretty good um there was also christina loken who played a new fictional character daniel Ben Hart, who played a new character, um, Polio Mataban, if I'm pronouncing his name right, was uh, Kung Lao. And you had these other characters as well. I mean, it was, it was fairly good. It was watchable. It wasn't anything groundbreaking at all or whatnot, but I thought they did pretty good. Um, 
Jeff Meek. You know, he was every bit as good as uh, Gamby in terms of rating as well in here. Uh, like I said, it lasted long enough. I think they got like at least they consider it one series, but the one series, the one, uh, the kid, uh, one season, I should say, um, had about what 22 episodes in there, which I think they did were able to close the book on this. But 22 episodes, if you split that, that's two seasons, but they made it into one because usually back in the day, the season was always split into 12, like at least 12, 13 episodes. So they had more than that. It was it was OK for the, for what it was worth. But, um, you know, it was what it was. Then we go down later on, we get into the 2000s. We're still aching for some new Mortal Kombat live action series. Um, we had a ton of different games to come out at the time, which, by the way, that's going to be what we'll talk about on Select Start. We're going to run down the top five best Mortal Kombat games out of the 14 that has actually come out that weren't including the uh, the updates of them. So stay tuned for that. Um, we then got a couple of series, Mortal Kombat Legacy, which was based upon a experimental game, uh, you know, a project, a fan made project called Mortal Kombat Rebirth. Now, this is the series. I am. Yeah, this is the series that pretty much um, led to the reboot. Now, this uh, was supposed to be made by the uh who who is this uh, mortal kombat rebirth i'm looking this up now here we go 2010 and at this point kevin uh i don't i'm gonna butcher this name kevin tan shuren uh was a guy who put in his own money and felt that he can put together a believable realistic version of mortal kombat and this was so awesome that it it went viral oh, this is when early the early days when things went viral like crazy on, on the internet this people wanted to see this movie with a passion because we saw that a realistic version of a mortal kombat movie could be made and turns out that like this got a lot of exposure. Ed Boone saw this. Everybody saw this. It was just amazing. They even not he even went as far as to have actual known celebrities and known uh, actors to be a part of this. We had Jerry Ryan, who everybody loves from Star Trek and a host of other you know great shows that she's been a part of. Um, oh, people love that. I, I can't blame. Uh, I cannot blame him at all. She's she's something else That's in a very good way. Uh, but she was also an Arrow too. I forgot about that. But she plays Sonya Blade while Michael Jai White played Jackson Briggs. And this was an awesome little short movie. You also had uh, Ian Anthony Dale as uh, Scorpion. And these were like not like these were very realistic versions of these these uh, these deals. You had Richard Dorton as Reptile. It was just crazy uh, what they did with this. If you haven't watched this, go out of your way. To watch this short is out there you can easily say it's like eight minutes but it's the eight minutes of this felt way better than 135 minutes of annihilation guaranteed you feel like you got a whole movie's worth of this short and it just led to the talk of a new mortal kombat coming out we later then get 
other Mortal Kombat, another Mortal Kombat series called Mortal Kombat Legacy, uh, which was now it, the funny thing about this is that what happened here with this with this series um, happened in the same fashion as it did with um, Joey Answer, who went on to do. Uh, Street Fighter Assassin's Fist because Joey, Joey Answer also hired Mike Bow and uh, some other cast to do a short of a much better looking more believable Street Fighter and it was a short just like this and it went viral just like that and then it turned out that he wound up getting um, he, he wound up getting the opportunity to do a whole entire series for Street Fighter uh, Kevin also did the same thing here and he managed to be able to get the opportunity to do an actual series based on, you know, Mortal Kombat, you know, that focused on a lot of different people. They did the first one and the second one um, using the same actors as Jackson Kano. I mean, I mean, it's Sonya as they went after Kano. Um, they did another one for Johnny Cage. Like these were all different, you know, episodes, um, you know, directed by Kevin showing different uh characters in the series so he and again they were fantastic people loved them they you know it was a whole series on netflix they did one on raiden they did one on scorpion and sub-zero doing the, you know talking about the past they did one on cyrax and uh sector as well it was just they were awesomely done and they actually by the way they're available on amazon prime as well i don't know where else you could find it um but they are available there and they are they are just they just absolutely set the tone for something new that can happen with this series it, it gave a nuance it it, they, it absolutely gave a great nuance to what you could do with this series so he did two seasons of this uh first and second season and they didn't disappoint now the problem was was that he was aiming all of this was aiming for him to do a movie and here as well and it turns out it just never it just never came about because for some odd reason they'd had some disagreements in, in terms of i guess creative control and you know creativity and whatnot and just didn't fall through um it's unfortunate but it would have been nice to see what what, is, what was going to happen here and uh also who returned in here as well is shang soon himself play you know carry uh hidoyoki tagawa reprises role as shang soon in here as well so it just worked out it worked out and, and with him coming into the series it brought legitimacy because you had the guy who originally played the original shang soon everybody everybody who was considered him to be the shang soon you got him on here to reprise the role which says again speaks volumes of what everybody thought of the original mortal kombat in here uh the guy is tremendous so that came through and then we didn't see anything. We heard that a new Mortal Kombat was in the making. We needed a new director. We didn't get a director up until this point. But in between all this, we also were getting a animated version as well. And we got that last year called Mortal Kombat Legends Scorpion's Revenge, which I reviewed last year. It was um, directed by Ethan Spaulding. It is not for kids. <laughs> <laughs> it um had a great had a great cast uh one in particular is joe McHale, who is one of my all time favorite guys <laughs> everything that joe McHale is in is awesome 
So he played Johnny Cage in here. So he was kind of the, one of the highlights uh, in here. But again, they all did an absolutely great job. You know, of course, you got Kevin Michael Richardson playing, reprising his role as Goro, which, by the way, Kevin Michael Richardson was the original Goro in the 1995 series. It's one of his early, um, one of his earlier actual roles in here. You also have Fred Tatashore who played uh, Shao Kahn in here as well. Great choice for that. Um, Greg Griffin also playing Katana in here. Great choice for that. Um, and of course, one of my favorites, Steve Bloom reprising his role as Sub-Zero because he plays Sub-Zero in the video games as well. So, it was a, you know, as much as I said about the, I didn't like, like I said before, I love the movie. I did not like the character design. I didn't like that at all. It was, it, I, I thought they could have done better. I, I wish they would have used the guy who did Young Justice because it would have been, it would have looked absolutely awesome. Or even the, the, the artist, the character designer who is doing the new Batman and Superman uh, movies that are now coming out. Just beautiful. This one, eh, it was okay. It was okay, but the actual story was great too. It was just a retelling of the Mortal Kombat you know, uh, story that we all know and love, but from the view of Hanzo Asashi's, you know, perspective, and it was more focused on him, you know, becoming Scorpion and leading up to that of that situation. So it was kind of their animated retelling of that. It was actually, it was in terms of, you know, compared to Annihilation, this was eons better than Annihilation. And it was an hour and 20 minutes and it was just, it was way, 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 way better. So. You had that and then now we're getting the new mortal kombat that is scheduled to come out next friday so i am looking forward to this i know everybody's clamoring at uh chomping at the bits for it my thing with that is that they need to not only make this the best movie ever that supersedes all of them but it also needs to rather level up to the video game story line and narrative there and supersede all of that because you know credit to ed boon mortal kombat 9 10 and 11 honestly you played those games and you watched the story of those it's also done by warner brothers as well and it's like do they really need a reboot movie the the movies the the games that they come out with 9 10 and 11 have all been better even have been better move than the movies that that they have done before all of them even 95 i love them. it was a retelling it was a reboot a retelling of the mortal kombat series so not only do i believe that mortal kombat that this new mortal kombat coming next week on friday april 23rd not only is it going to have to live up to the 1995 one and legacy as well i would say that it will also have to live up to the video game because the video game really stepped it up in terms of really showing that you could have a movie quality narrative and story told in a video game. So it has a lot to look up to. There's going to be, um, you know, Simon McQuad has a lot to look up to. Uh, we're going to find out next week because I'm going to be reviewing Mortal Kombat, as you guys know, and this is going to be huge. I'm looking forward to this. I hope all of you are looking forward to And guess what, folks? That will do it for this episode of ACMG Presents Talk Time Live. I hope you had a great time. It's a very lengthy episode, but it was needed to be. We had to talk about a lot going on this time. So I uh, hope you enjoyed it. I hope you get a chance to check out Mortal, all the Mortal Kombat stuff that has led up to this. I 
don't don't do it to yourself and do annihilation don't do it i'll take that i'll gladly take the bullet for you this is what i do oh this is the part of the job that hurts so i hope you enjoy that but you know get ready we're gonna have a great week uh the season the series finale of falcon and winter soldier comes next week so we'll be talking about that but our talk topic will be mortal Kombat. it's finally here so hopefully it'll be good as it as it looks on the trailers or whatnot and uh i'm i'm ready for it i'm ready to do that eat chicago deep dish style in philadelphia and um have a great time with this so probably even give a little review of that too so stay tuned for all that and much, much more. But folks, if you love this episode, you can check us this episode and all of our episodes on TalkTimeLive.com. You can also check out all of our exclusive interviews on the exclusive page, or you could type in TalkTimeLive.com forward slash exclusive. Um, if you want to check out all of the Read Pop Anime Week uh, shows that I did, you could go to enter. Oh, actually. You should go to my Instagram page at DaxXavier underscore Josiah. You can follow me there. You can also go to the link that is on the bio. And my link tree page is on there, which has the link to the anime week, which you can see all those shows there. Uh, you could, except for the Naruto fan trivia, which you could go into the, you could go to the, uh, you go to Facebook uh, on New York Comic Con's page to see that as well. If you want, if you're fans of Darto, if you're fans of Pokemon, if you're fans of My Hero Academia, it's all there. Check it all out there. So, uh, and actually, no, um, findthemetaverse.com does have all that content there. So you could go there as well. Um, but yeah, man, if you want to check it out there, but you could also subscribe and download to our show on Spotify, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Poppy, TuneIn, Audible, Pandora and Pocket Cast, among others as well. We really appreciate all of the support, all of the new listeners, all of our continued listeners that uh, enjoy all the show. Like I said, on the Select Start Video Game Podcast, we will, out of all the 14, I will mark down what I believe is the top five games that Mortal Kombat has made. I got a spoiler alert for you. Three of them is going to be the ones I just mentioned. So we'll be talking about that. But what are the other two? that I consider possibly really good in the Mortal Kombat lineup here. So we'll be talking about all that, plus any news that's going on in the world of gaming as well. Folks, have a great week. Hope you all enjoy this week. I hope you guys get the chance to get out. I hope you all get vaccinated. I hope you guys are staying safe. I hope you guys are, my people, are really, really safe out here. Um, just, Just keep it going and keep it growing always. And thank you again for taking the time to talk with me. So that'll do it for me, people. On behalf of myself, this is Dax Xavier Josiah saying, learn to let go, live life, and love all things anime, comics, movies, and games. This is ACMG Presents Talk Time Live. I am out of here. Countdown to combat begins, people. Take care.
Music for this episode is provided by Game Chops. Check out these great chiptune tracks and more at music.gamechops.com.